good afternoon, evening. We're about ready to begin our Bible study. If you're here, raise your hand. A wave. <laughs> it is good to see all of you. Uh, we're going to study God's Word tonight about everything. And I just want you to know that Satan doesn't like it. You can't believe what's gone on this week. So we're going to study everything that concerns you. And that is how to be a disciple. What it means to be a disciple. And I've picked out a song that uh, describes and um, defines that. And I've asked Elizabeth to sing it for us. And then we will... You can join her, as you will know it, most likely. And then you have it on your table. The first song is, I have decided to follow Jesus. Father, I thank you for your presence. It is so beautiful. I just ask you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to teach us. Teach us what you desire for us to understand and know about following you. And I thank you for your scripture, which is truth. And I ask that you open it to us, that we may, it may be rightly divided, that we may gain from the teaching of your Holy Spirit what we need to know this evening about following you. And I thank you so much for your presence here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Who is, in case you couldn't see this, who is one who loves supremely? Who is one that bears a cross? And who is one wholly surrendered? Those are the questions that we're going to answer tonight as we study. Our study uh, it starts in Luke chapter 14, uh, and we're going to study several scriptures concerning leaving all to follow Christ. I want to define the word that we're studying tonight, which is a disciple. So a disciple is one who believes in Jesus as risen Lord. A disciple leaves all to follow Jesus as a learner and a pupil. And a disciple counts the cost and vows allegiance and loyalty to Christ. So, who is? The disciple is this, but who else? We'll find out as we study. I want to give you an official definition of the word disciple. It's one who believes in Jesus, which that says. It's one that leaves all to follow Jesus. Hmm. As a learner and a pupil, and it's one who counts the cost and vows allegiance and loyalty to Christ. So Jesus makes a distinction between salvation and discipleship. Do you know the difference? Um, first of all, salvation is all who will come by faith while discipleship is for believers willing to pay the price. And we're going to see what that is. Uh, 
Salvation means coming to the cross and trusting Jesus as Savior. While discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus. So the first point that we want to look at in this scripture in Luke 14, 26 is that a disciple must love supremely because Jesus first loved us. So let's read Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That doesn't sound right, does it? Am I to hate my parents? I was taught in God's word to love your and honor your father and your mother. There's no conflict in the word, by the way. No, we don't. We're not called to hate anybody. Jesus is speaking. The great multitudes had come to him. Can you imagine Jesus speaking? And the great multitudes had come. And they were scattered here and there and far and surrounding him to hear his word, to see what he would do, to listen to him. And this is what he says. You must hate your mother, anyone, your mother, your father. Um, no, not at all. But let's talk a minute about love. There is one that is supreme. And so this is a device of bringing attention to the negative, which it isn't, so that the positive, which it is, is... is uh, bright that you might understand it better it's opposite our love is of fam family is one kind of love it's phileo it's a love for friend and family members that's the greek interpretation but in luke here uh, luke jesus warns that there may be that actually there could be a problem if you decide to follow Jesus with, a, with your family. Um, they, it said that Christ had taught his disciples earlier that he came and, that, and there would be division. He did teach that. But he's not teaching to hate your parents. He's using that as an illustration for the kind of love that is supremely different and greater than love for family. Love for family would be the most love that you would know. It's your, it's your first experience with love. And yet there is a love, an unconditional love for God that is even greater. Um, and that's how a disciple is called to love supremely. I want to say these things I found out about love from some of the different scriptures. Love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and it's not directed to the, toward the world or things of the world. Love is kind, not envious. Love does not seek its own. Love is not easily provoked. 
Love believes the best about people. Love bears all, believes all, hopes all, and endures all things. So a disciple, who is the one who loves supremely? Yes, Jesus, of course, but a disciple. That is a definition of the love that a disciple must show to others. A disciple is the one that has accepted Christ. That's the first requirement for a disciple is that they are a believer. And they must bear uh, this, they must have this kind of Christ-like love, which is greater than we can even understand. So a disciple is the one that loves supremely. We're calling you to be one if you haven't already decided to do that. But if you've decided to follow Jesus, you have met the first requirement for being a disciple. You must be a believer. So, as a disciple loves and shares his or her own salvation story, because you have a story to share about the love of Christ... This, I found this comment about the importance of that. People will not care what you believe until they believe that you care. So you cannot disciple a person you do not love. Love for Christ and love for others is the heart of following Jesus as a disciple. So who is the one who loves supremely? You are. You are. Let's take a look at Luke 14, 27. It says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What is a cross? That was my question. Lord, what is a cross? Well, I found out that is something that we willingly accept from God as part of his will for our lives. Wow. Wow. It demands our loyalty to Christ. Something we willingly accept from God as part of his will. Not our will necessarily at all, but part of his will for our lives. And it demands our loyalty. How much do we trust him for our life? It rises above all other things. So the cross is to be born, carried, lugged around willingly. By a disciple. You're going through hard things. We all know that. There's hard things for all of us. How willing are we to go through those things that, and they're particularly out of control for us. We didn't bring that. We didn't want that. We didn't need that. How do we bear that? The word says it's something you must bear. 
as a disciple. Love is one of the ways that you can bear. How do you love that person or thing that might be uh, uh, the cause of something like that? Uh, God's love loves the unlovely, loves the sinner, loves the wrongdoer, and his disciple must do that. So, loyalty. What does it mean to bear a cross? He says, and whosoever does not bear his cross cannot be my disciple. So, if we willingly accept it as part of our lives and we bear it, we surrender to follow Jesus in doing that in three ways. We daily identify with Christ in shame, suffering, and surrender to God's will. It means death to our self-plans, our own ambitions. A disciple must die to self-centeredness and be willing to endure suffering and even martyrdom life. It means willing to serve him and he, as he directs, according to John. So we come, it's a point of loyalty. Not only is it love, but it's loyalty as well to bear the cross that Christ allows. So we must count the cost if we're going to be a disciple. There's two parables in this scripture that give us something to think about in Luke 14, 28 through 33. Listen to this one and look in your scripture as well. Verse four, uh, 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down and first count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid a foundation, it is not able to finish and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of, for peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he, that he has cannot be my disciple. I want to talk about the interpretation of this a minute. If, if you, um, the usual interpretation that in this parable... The believers, our disciples, are the builders. And that the believers are king. And we better count the cost before we start and not be able to finish. But I want to present you a different side of that. It's not my idea. It's Campbell Morgan's idea about this scripture. And he says that if we look at the builder and the king... Not as who we are, but who Jesus Christ is. A builder and the king. He is the one who must count the cost to see whether or not we are the kind of material that he can use to build the building, the church, 
perhaps, or battle the enemy. And this week has been a battle. He doesn't want me to teach this lesson. I can guarantee you that. So if Jesus is the builder, he will do the building, but he must have laborers. He, if he's the king, he fights the enemy. He fights the enemy, but he must have warriors. That's you and me. He cannot get the job done with half-hearted followers who will not pay the price of discipleship. So we say, ask this question, are, willing, are you willing to count the cost? Who is one who loves supremely? That's you. Who is willing to bear a cross? That's you. So, who is wholly surrendered? Discipleship is serious business, and if we're not true disciples, can Jesus therefore build the tower he designed or fight the war as, the, as our general? Oswald Chambers wrote, there is always an if in connection with discipleship. And it implies that we need not be disciples unless we want to, like, desire. There is never any compulsion. Jesus does not coerce us to be a disciple. There is only one way of being a disciple, and that is to be devoted totally devoted to Jesus. If we tell Jesus we want to take up our cross and follow him as a disciple, then he wants us to know what we are getting into. No false expectations, no illusions, no bargains. He's looking for quality. For the ability to stand the, stay in the battle, ability to keep sawing logs, Keep hammering nails, keep at it, keep living, walking and loving the way he made us to be. The third thing is to be wholly surrendered. So now we move into Philippians 2, 5 through 8. So we look at this and we'll ask, what is the secret to the mind of Christ that we need in order to be wholly surrendered. The mind of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death 
of the cross. Let this mind be in you, the mind of Christ. Robbery to be, if we consider it robbery to be equal with God, Jesus saw his being God as something not to keep for himself, not mind I'm not God, but to give it away. How can you take that who God gives you or is in you and give it away? That's what a disciple is to do, surrender yourself in that way. Um, what did Jesus do? Everything that we're talking about tonight, Jesus did. And we're talking tonight about following him in his footsteps. So you have to know how, where his footsteps lead or where they are to follow in them. So the mind, what's your mind about? What do you mind about your mind? You have a mind. It's the center of many, many things. We talk about mind and heart. And they are really literally up there and in here. But that's, they're more. They're more. It's the center of our decision making and our emotions and our um, commitments. It's with our mind we come to understand what it is that our heart leads us to decide to do. And so, we want to know what Christ's mind was. Because we're following in his, him the way he walks. So what is the mind of Christ? This says, he did not consider it to robbery to be equal with God. Who is Christ? <laughs> he is God. He is God the Son. God the Father. God the Holy Spirit. He should, by word, to be God? Is that not the greatest thing on, on, in the, we've ever heard of? God? What if he decided that He'd count that a prideful thing and just go around saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. But he did not consider it robbery. It, he, that means he didn't mind that on earth as a person, he was less than the God he is. So... He laid down and set aside his reputation. Now, your reputation is an important thing. What is that? It's what somebody else thinks about you. And, and you know what your reputation is, but others see it. And they honor that, or they might use it against you. But Jesus laid it down. He was the son of God, but he made himself of no reputation, but a bondservant, a bonds, the lowest of the hum humanity that walks the earth was a bondservant, a slave. 
and he took that on and in the and came in the likeness of a man. Can you imagine being God coming to earth as a baby boy being human when you are God, the son? But he did not uh, he said, the scripture says, he made himself of no reputation. Took the form of a bondservant. That's humility. Coming in the likeness of men. He became one of us. Except he was God. And he made him, he didn't build a reputation around himself as God. He emptied himself. So what is it when you empty yourself? Little things. When you make someone else uh, more important than you. When you serve. When you help. When you open a car, well, I'm thinking about my husband. Open a car door. <laughs> I see that as kind of an humbling experience to do that, but he does that for me every time I get in the car. And here's my old spirit. Don't do that. No, do that. <laughs> Jesus did those things as humans do in, uh, in the most purity that could ever have been walking on this earth. Um, and he made, he did that so we could see that, so that we could know that, so that we could be that. He was really a man, but not merely a man. Instead, he demonstrated what we call humility. Without the need to clutch power, <laughs> I'm thinking about our world, to, pay a, to gain attention more than others. Um, instead, he came to a full firm, not himself, but his God, but God. What God, where God had placed him to walk, where God had given him a task of calling disciples to follow him because there has to be a disciple. There has to be. There were only 12 out of the multitudes that came to hear Jesus. There were only 12. But there were multitudes that received him and came to know him because of the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ through his disciples and then through the believers, through, the, through us. But we are to be in our walk like he was in his walk. It's, uh, to think about humility, to demonstrate humility, uh, not gain power and attention, but in actually say yes to the fullness that God has placed in him. You can say yes in the world in which you live by humbling yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Because guess who will lift you up? He will. It's a promise. God is a promise keeper. His word never fails. Humbling ourselves opens us up to increased grace, 
childlikeness in the doorway of the kingdom, thy kingdom come. When we step aside and say, Lord, thy kingdom come, it's probably to serve someone. To do something for someone that they need or can't do for themselves. And in doing, we are humbling ourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift our head. He is the lifter of our head. Humbling ourselves is taking the form of a bondservant. One who has emptied himself of all of his privileges. Taking on a servant's heart to serve and love others. What a heart. It shines like a bright light in a dark place. It is so visible. Humility. And in the heart, obedience. Christ came in obedience. It says in verse 8, And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And as we well know, death on the cross. So obedience. Now it's your obedience that will shine. Just like the heavenly bodies shine in a bright night sky. The lives of you, Christians, lighten the moral darkness of the world. We are the light. We bear the light. He is the light, and he shines through us who are his followers, who are his disciples. He is everything. We come to the end of this scripture. It went really fast. It's a few scriptures but it's an awesome walk. So, we surrender all to be a disciple, a follower of Christ, so that you, you are the one who loves supremely. You are the one who bears the cross, and you are the one wholly surrendered. And that is the word of the Lord for this evening. And I want to thank Elizabeth for singing and if you will sing and lead us in I Surrender All, that will end this session. <laughs>